Sagemont Church is a gathering of Christian believers in the southeast area of Houston, Texas. Today's message is from our senior pastor, Dr. John Morgan. I want you, if you would, this morning to open your Bible to the 28th chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew. And in just a moment, I'm going to be reading from that scripture. In fact, I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading. I'll start reading in the 16th verse of Matthew 28. Would you just stand right now? And I want that to give an opportunity for, again, those of you that are up here at the front to represent all of us by coming to this altar for the reading of the word and for prayer. So would you just do that right now? If you're around here close and you can kneel and you can, uh, you're mobile, come and join these and if you would and pray with us and for us and for the word as it goes out. Be assured this morning, folks, that there are many that are watching or listening and many in this building right now that have never, ever, ever had an opportunity to be the recipient of God's new birth. God's eternal life. To us, that is very, very, very important. It is a major thing at Sagemont that the world understand that God so loved the world in spite of itself, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we're going to pray for this service. I want you to pray knowing that within 20 feet of every one of you, there's probably somebody that needs Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I want you to just continue to pray as the service continues with the speaking of the Word of God, the proclamation or the preaching of God's Word from Matthew chapter 28. Would you pray with me? Dear God, we are at a moment now when we need not continue unless we are reminded that you are here. That your Holy Spirit takes preeminence when the Holy Word of God is opened. We believe the Bible, God, to be the inspired and inerrant and infallible Word written by your servants under the leadership and the direction of the Holy Spirit. We would not open it, look at it, read it, study it, or even consider following its teachings unless we knew that it is a book written by God, sent through the hands of man to the hearts of all people. So would you bless this time with your presence and make the word clear to every person here, regardless of their Bible knowledge. May there be something today that's personal for every person here. And thank you for the baptisms a moment ago and for letting us see that you are still saving people, young and old, because of the power of your blood. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Would you folks may go back and just stand if you would. Don't, just remain standing. Let me read to you these verses. I will set it up after I've read the verses. This is what's called... The, the end of it's called the Great Commission. It's, this is the last of the book of Matthew. If you have a red letter edition of the scripture, you'll see that beginning in the 18th verse, the letters are read because these are the words of Jesus. But let me read verse 16 and 17 and 18 first. 
Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, that's Jesus, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came, and he spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go you therefore and teach all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all the things whatsoever I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen and amen. Would you be seated, please? Now, for those of you that are here for the first time in a few Sundays, uh, going back to Easter and to set up where we are today, our church has made a commitment to stay focused upon the fact that Jesus is alive. He is risen from the grave. The story goes beyond the cross. It was on the cross that Jesus died for sin, but three days later he rose from the grave, and in a mixed and messed up world, he is alive. He is risen, as he said. And he is looking over the affairs of man. He has given us his written word, and we are to proclaim that word. After Easter Sunday morning, we came to eight days after that, where the night that Jesus rose from the grave, the disciples were scared to death, knowing that many of them would be executed. So they locked themselves in a room, and Jesus shows up. The resurrected Jesus shows up the bodily resurrection of Jesus, that body shows up. That day, that night, resurrection night, there was one disciple named Thomas. He was not there. He was one of those rebellious kind of guys. He was one of those guys that had problems with his priorities, and he didn't show up. Eight days after that first Sunday night, the disciples got together again, and this time Thomas was there. And Thomas showed up, and uh, he said, Unless I can touch you, I'll not believe. The Lord said, Here, touch my hands, touch my side. He said, My Lord and my God. He was convinced. And then later on, the next week, the disciples showed up, and Thomas is there. And now things are beginning to roll. And now we come to the last chapter in the gospel according to Matthew and as you notice, there were 11 disciples. Judas is not with them. Now they are facing the Lord, and he speaks to them a very brief message. In the message that Jesus spoke to these disciples, he condensed in these few words that we see as three, really two and a half verses in the book of, of the Gospel of Matthew, this is what I want you 11 men that now are the leaders of the future of the church until I come back to get my bride, the church. And I will come back and I will rapture the church. But I want you to know, disciples, it's my church, Jesus said. And here is the way you are to carry out the will of the Father through the church to a world that desperately needs to hear about 
the resurrected Lord. So here in this passage, in verse 18, he says, I've got the power to do what I'm fixing to do. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. The Bible says in other places that no weapon that's formed will ever prosper against God. When God decides to speak, it, re- it doesn't matter who is in political control. It doesn't matter who has the strongest military force. When God speaks, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Then he says something to them. He says to all of these and he says to us this morning, here is your responsibility. You go... And you teach all the nations of the world. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And then I want you to teach them to observe all the things which I have commanded you. And then he says, and I will be with you until the last battle's fought and the ultimate victory is proclaimed, Jesus Christ is Lord. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. Some will be ready and some will not. Some will be taken to meet the Lord in the air and some will be eternally damned because they have rejected the Son of God, the only one given among men whereby we must, not can be, but we must be saved. When I'm given an opportunity to speak to people in any setting, I try to believe, and I do believe, sometimes I have to stretch my belief a little bit, but I believe that people, or the majority of the people in the audience, don't want to waste their life here on earth. Now, I have reason to believe at times, and I think some of us that's all right, me, I don't care. I'm just here today, gone tomorrow, you know. Just get a little gusto and get out of here. I don't think that's the majority. I, I think most people don't believe that God created them with no purpose. And that they're just to hang on and do the best they can and be outcast, if you please. I, I just don't believe that. But yet I see people that even have been exposed to the Scripture. As the people around the world, many have not been exposed to the Scripture, but I see them that it it, it seems to me like they do want to intentionally waste their life by going and doing the temporal things of their world and their culture that are passing fads, and then face the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Or maybe believe that's just a myth. Because I heard somebody say that I respect or I read somebody's book and they said there is no God and all the Bible is just nothing to it. Well, to those of us who are believers, God has said something to us. He says you're to go to the uttermost part of the world and live out the gospel while you're going. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And without question, the biggest hindrance to the cause of the Great Commission is those that profess to be believers 
Maybe churchgoers, maybe givers of their finances, maybe even serving, but in the quiet, private areas of their life when they're apart from the organized group called the church, their life shows nothing of a new birth experience, and those that have never heard the gospel are major concerned. I don't know how many of us realize that people are watching us. It's amazing how people go out in public and they do things, and as long as the preacher's not there, they do it, not knowing that the waitress is a member of Sagemont and knows exactly who you are and exactly what you're doing. But see, that's the church of today. Go to the same movies, go to the same entertainment, do the very same thing because we want to be a part of the group. And God said to these 11 men who ultimately died for their faith, God said to them, your responsibility is to be living proof of a loving God to a watching world and take the word and share it wherever you go. Never apologizing for it, Never with a, with a preaching, uh, arrogant spirit, but with a deep concern that, yes, you are spiritually sick, but, yes, you can be made whole. And you can be made so whole that you will never die, nor will anyone ever snatch you out of the hands of the Lord Jesus. Jesus is alive, and he is in the miracle-working business. Let me tell you something. Without the new birth that's mentioned in John chapter 3, where Nicodemus was told, you've got to be born again. He didn't even know what that was talking about. He thought that meant a physical rebirth. We, we need to stop and understand that without a new birth experience, in that we're all born in sin, that nothing makes sense unless a person is born again and old things pass away and all things become new. Nothing else makes sense. The life that Jesus tells us to live is a life that can only be lived by him. But he has promised to live his life through us if we would decrease and he would increase. And so we bump into each other and we argue our theology and so forth. But at the same time, we have forgotten what we're supposed to be doing. There are many wonderful things that we can do. There are many wonderful things the church does and those that have nothing to do with the body of Christ do. Those things are good. The church should not drop out, but that's not our major mission. I'm talking about feeding the poor. I'm talking about the things that we do to help the orphans, the, the, the abortion, all those things. You bet we ought to be involved. We ought to be leading the pack. But those things do not substitute for a new birth experience with Jesus Christ. But we think they do. If we can just give enough money and spend enough time helping those that are in need of help, that that will substitute for a new birth experience. You see, when the uh, disciples were told to go to all the nations, it meant they had to leave where they were. This is our Jerusalem, Houston. Wherever you're watching, your Jerusalem is where you live. I don't think most of us have a clue what city we live in and what it's like. That's the reason we're going to be organizing some tours soon. If you don't have enough money to go to the other side of the world, we're going to take you through Houston and get you back home the same night, and you're going to see the world. And you're going to wake up to the fact that there are more Hindu and Muslim and Buddhist temples being built in Houston than all the Christian churches put together. 
If you'll go and look up your, your statistics, there are more new churches being started in Cuba than there are in the United States of America. You're going to find out, if you really get out there and look, you're going to discover right here in Houston that the world has come to our city and they are told here, the believers here, from all the nations in the world, and there are many here right now in this auditorium, that we are to carry the gospel to your homeland and to the uttermost part of the world. Let me tell you how bad the situation is. Buddy Griffin has just retired from Sagemont. He has spent the last 115 Sundays visiting 115 churches in Houston and the greater Houston area. You know how many baptism services he saw in 115 weeks? Nine. Nine baptismal services. If we don't have baptism every time we meet, I feel like somewhere somebody didn't tell somebody about Jesus this week. Nine. There were 11,000 people baptized in the 700 Baptist churches in the greater Houston area last year, and 500 of them were baptized in this church. 5% of all the baptisms of all the hundreds of churches. Listen, folks, and that's nothing. We ought to be baptizing 5,000. But we are so caught up in doing church to be relevant and to attract those that want to bring sin to the church and change the church into just a social club that we have lost our impact on the cause of Christ. These guys had the same temptation. They stood the test until they were executed. That doesn't sound very good, does it? I bet it makes some of you want to just erase your membership. Oof, I think I got to die. Goodness gracious, I just thought I'd get some new business if I came to church here and some new friends and I'd be around some of my family that I just love to be with, especially if they take me out to eat on Sunday and pay for the bill. I just love, you know this? May God help us. A lot of churches in Houston that are Baptist churches don't even have a baptistry anymore. And Baptists, Southern Baptists, are the largest organized denomination in the world with 22 million Southern Baptists and some don't even have a baptistry. What in the world is going on today? What has happened? Jesus said that our target should be every nation of the world. Our target should be every person on the planet. Now, a people group is defined by the statisticians of of a, a, where, where you say that's an unreached group, less than 2% of the population of that group are Christians. 98% are nothing or some other religious group. Now, today, so many believe that the church is responsible, the Christian church is to get in a contest with all the other religions of the world and prove who's got the best God. Listen, you don't have to defend God. All you have to do and I have to do is tell people about God. He'll defend himself. You don't have to argue with your friends of other religions of the world about who's got the best religion. We've got a resurrected Savior. We've got a soon-coming King. We've got a God that loves everybody, everybody. He's not out to execute other religions. He is out to tell 
other religious groups of people, Jesus loves you too, and he wants you to have a life everlasting. And all religions are on this planet, but eternity is out there for whosoever will. That's the message of the Christians. If no one is around to tell these unreached people groups, what's the result? I'm not going to go on this, but I'll be glad to talk to you if you want to talk about this in private. But go to the book of Ezekiel. In chapter 33, verses 8 and 9, Ezekiel the prophet was wondering about these kind of people. Here's what the the prophet was told by God. He He said, if you go and tell them that they... can have a new life in God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through the Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You go and tell them, and they die, and they die in their sin, and they reject him. They will die in their sin and will be punished for it, but you will have delivered yourself. But then he goes on in the next verse and says, but if you don't go to tell them, and they die in their sin... Their blood I will require of you. Man, that's strong. And he says it twice in the book of Ezekiel, two different places. We just don't get it, folks. We just don't get it. Somehow we believe that Christianity is a sweet religion with Ten Commandments, and if we just love our neighbors ourselves and and do things for them every once in a while, everything is fine. And if I'm too bashful to tell people about my faith in Jesus, or if I am too self-independent that I won't, won't warn my, my neighbor, my friend, my golfing partner, my neighbor, the people I eat with, the people I go to school with. That's where we've come. But God has cautioned us. And he said, you must go. People are saying today there are two billion people out there. These are the folks a lot smarter than me. When I, when I read the many books and articles about this, they center around two billion that have never heard about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, my question is this. What's it going to take for America to repent? What's it going to take? Now, you know the world, I hope. One of the things I, I, I beg for, if I was a, if I was a, a leader of the students, I, I would just make them. If, if I was a school teacher, I'd make them listen to the news. I had a teacher like that in high school. He, que- he questioned us every day, and part of our test was the current events of that day. I'm glad I kept up with what's happening in my world when I was in junior high and high school. It changed me radically because I didn't want to get on that wagon. But this is a serious day, serious day. What's it going to take? And we discourage each other. You take a young person today and a lot of our families, they want to go to the mission field and here comes grandma and grandpa and mom and dad. Do you understand how risky that is for you to go over there? Well, do you understand how risky it is to get on the 45 South? (laughs) Oh, honey, don't go over there. Where are you going to find a husband and a wife? Maybe they don't want one. Maybe they don't need one. I don't know. Where are you going to find one here? A lot of people are looking in all the wrong places and they're finding all the wrong ones. Amen? Well, what about your children? You want to raise them over there? You want to keep our grandkids from knowing us? Oh, that just gets you, don't it? <laughs> the very thought that my grandkids would go to the most part would just kill me. Well, if you're saved, you're absent from the body and present with the Lord, you know? <laughs> just be a promotion for you. It's a quick way to get an early ticket, okay? 
And then the young people turn to the old people, and the old people could say, let's us go. And you know what they'll say to us? First of all, their retirement, I mean their inheritance is getting farther away, and that might not be a good thing. But here's the question. Are you sure that's wise at your age and stage of life for you to go over there and tell those people about the Lord with those funds that you have in your retirement that you could leave to us if you would stay around here and play dominoes? In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, the Lord said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. And then in Matthew 10, 37, he that loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that takes not his cross and follows after me is not worthy of me. And that he that finds his life shall lose it, and he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. Wow. Pretty strong, isn't it? Like the old country preacher said, that's as strong as six miles of garlic. But it's pretty clear, isn't it? It's pretty clear. This past week, I spent two days in Orlando, Florida with some of my fellow pastors. There was 51 or two or three of us from the larger churches in the United States. We sat down and talked for hours, 12, 14 hours, both of those days. David Platt was there. Remember David Platt, he leads our International Mission Board, and we had our commissioning service. You missed one of the greatest messages you'll ever hear. This is a young man that's now taken over the largest organized mission force on the planet. He spoke to us, and we spent a lot of time just one-on-one. Let me just give you something for you to pray about. 2009, Southern Baptist, the largest organized mission force in the world, had 5,000, excuse me, had, yes, 5,600 missionaries. 5,600, 2009. 2009, not 1909, 2009. Today, we have 4,800. 800 less than we had in 2009. Next year, unless a miracle takes place, there'll be 4,200 missionaries in the uttermost part of the world. Think about that. This year, the goal for foreign missions was $175 million. The income was $154,200,000. And so $20 million worth of of mission work in the uttermost part of the earth had to be stopped. Now I want to ask you a question, Sagemont Church. I'm going to ask you a question Believers, uh, there are 44,000 churches in the Southern Baptist Convention. What if every church sent one person? One person. I don't mean their staff. Some of them probably like to send their pastor. Maybe Sagemont's one of them, but I don't know. But if every one of those churches sent one 
person to go and carry the Great Commission, what would the numbers look like then? From 4,800, it would be, I mean, excuse me, yes, from 4,200, it would become 48,200 on the mission field. Think about it. I want you to move one step further and say that some would send way more than 100, and we send literally hundreds here ourselves on temporary stays. But what if every church average sending 10 people? Then look what you'd have. You'd have a half a million missionaries in the uttermost part of the earth coming alongside those that are there for one month, two months, three months, and then they come home and replacements. More boots on the ground, more boots on the ground, more boots on the ground, coming and going. And not going over there to do anything other than to share the good news of Jesus Christ, to share the gospel, to tell people how to be saved, to show them the love of God and to teach them the word of God. What would happen if that kind of strategy came into place? If one out of five members of Sage Mott Church went out, it would double the mission force. One out of five. The worst suffering is not all those horrible things that are going on, sex trafficking and all that. The, the, the worst suffering is eternal life without God. Amen. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul is what the scripture says. And yet today... I would offer to you, and I'll be willing to see your statistics. I will submit to you that the overwhelming majority of American churches have diluted the gospel and have chosen other ministries in order to fill their buildings rather than carry the Great Commission to the world. If I'm wrong, please prove me wrong so I can sleep better at night. The world needs Jesus. And if we could just not to be preachers, not even to be Bible teachers, but to let your life be a living testimony to the fact that God changes marriages, changes homes, changes young people, changes everything we do, that the new birth, as the Bible says, old things pass away and all things become new. And all of a sudden, people began to go around and they began to say, wow, what happened to you? Yesterday, I went to two secular events, thanks to my grandchildren, to watch them. And on both occasions, someone came up to me and, and guess what they told me? They said, uh, we heard about the resurrection awakening over at Sagemont. One of my best friends came as a member of your church. Their life has changed so much, I can hardly get over it. So they can't, can't quit talking. Yeah. Another one said, I brought a member of my family that I didn't want to come for so long. They, they, just, they just, you wouldn't believe them. You wouldn't believe them. Oh, yeah, I've seen enough born-again people. I can believe you. I'm looking at a lot of them. They're sitting on the first six rows right here, right now. 
What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus Christ came into my heart. Our goal, folks, don't you wait for your government to win the battle. The battle is not in the military. It's in the scriptures. The Bible, the battle is, God said, it's not your battle, it's my battle. And what I want is the gospel to get out and you are going to have to take it or it isn't going to get out. The world's not looking for another mass event. It's looking for 24 hours, seven days a week, 365 days out of the year for the church to be the church and to go out and love people in Jesus' name. And if you live your life and you let your light so shine that people see the good works, they'll glorify the Father in heaven and then they'll start asking, what in the world got into you? And it's our job as the leaders of the church to teach you how to respond to that question. What in the world got into you? What's his name? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1, there was great persecution against the church. In the fourth verse of the same chapter, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Psalm 142, 4, I looked on my right hand, beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. And no man cared for my soul. That's what the world is seeing today in so many places. In so many places. Evangelism has stalled in the United States. 37 of the strongest churches in Houston, Texas. Last year. Baptized 397 people that when I was a young man, they were the strongest churches in this city. I'm talking about our own group. I'm not talking about anything other than the world that I grew up in. And some of them, they were baptizing 100, baptized two, three, four, all year. All year. Folks, we can't listen to what people want. We've got to listen to what he's demanded. He has said very clearly, if I be lifted up, I'll take care of the rest of it. But you don't just lift him up from the pulpit and from the platform. You lift him up when we become living proof of a loving God to a watching world. When we have such a burden for people that we love that we cannot, if they throw us out of the house or as they did some of these, they executed them. But at least they heard the truth of Jesus Christ. None of us deserves heaven. All of us, if we got what we needed, or what we deserve, I should say, we would be in serious trouble. Well, my time has run out. I just want to call your attention to one illustration of how things have changed in our world. This is a positive thing. Remember people like Blockbuster and uh, Borders and those that had all the big movies and all that big stuff now? Now that's all been replaced. That's all been replaced by, like, Netflix and Amazon, iTunes and Google and all of this kind of stuff, you know. And you know what's happened? What they did is they changed their whole mathematical formula. Instead of 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus 1, what happens is 1 reaches 2, 2 reaches 4, 4 reaches 8, 8 reaches 16. It's called multi-level. And now what's happened is that people have gotten involved in a whole different way of doing business 
And now the big ones have gone down and the little ones have taken over because they've reached out to so many more people through technology. And it's not the big, big movies that make those that distribute them big, big money. It's a bunch of little movies all put together making the big bucks. As their stock goes up, those that went the other way have gone under. That's what Christianity is about. It's not about one great preacher. It's not about one great church. It's about us being what God saved us to be. I want you to think about what I've said to you this morning. A lot of you don't have any religious memories. By that I mean, and that's a compliment in one way, that means you're young. You don't, you, don't have any, you don't have any idea of living in a city like Houston and the businesses being closed on Sunday. You have no idea about the public schools being open to civic events, including the proclamation of the gospel. You have no idea when children could pray in school. You have no, no idea when families went to church together. You don't even know what that's all about. And you don't remember when people were more ashamed of their sin than they were proud of their sin. Those days are gone. It's time for the church to rise up and be the church. I have so many scriptures, but my time is gone. But I'll tell you this. A changed life gives you the privilege to share the good news with your mouth. A born-again life gives you that privilege. You don't need anything else than your personal testimony. You are an authority on that, but there's got to be a testimony. There's got to be a new life. There has to be a new birth. And when people, they've been wondering what got into you, now you can tell them, Jesus came into my heart. And he wants to come into your heart as well. In Luke 15 and 10, likewise I say to you, there's joy in the presence of the angel of God's over one sinner that repents. Proverbs 11.30 says, He that wins souls is wise. Paul said to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5.14, For the love of Christ constrains us. That's God's word to the church. One, Andrew going getting Peter. Matthew, Cornelius, Lydia, Timothy, the Ethiopian eunuch, Flip, the uh, Philippian jailer, the palace guards, those at Caesar's, they all had a story. Read the Bible. One told one, who told one, who told one, 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 one. I want you to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes. If we do not tell people about Jesus, we're keeping Jesus from the people. That's a bad sin. Do you hear what I said? If we do not tell people about Jesus, Jesus, we're keeping Jesus from the people. If we have him, we need to share him. And if we share him, he says, your efforts will not be in vain. This morning, I hope some of you will go home and you'll take some time, or if you want to just use a card. We're going to be talking a lot among our wonderful mission team and our mission staff because that's their heart. We've got to equip more people to carry the word across the city, across this campus, and across the world. If you're one of those who say, you know, I'm praying about what God's plan is for the rest of my life. 
We can't do it like we've been doing it. There's got to be something different. That difference is God's children going. And the plan is yet to be in detail. But it's pretty simple. We've got to get the gospel out through the lives of God's kids that are willing to go share them. Now, for those of you in this auditorium today, you don't, you're not in Africa. You're not in China. Don't worry right this moment about the people there. I've talked about that, but what about you? What about you? Do you know the Lord? Do you know him personally? Do you know what it means to have purpose in life? I think you want to. I think you want to have purpose. Why don't you give your heart to Christ today? Why don't you, when we stand in just a moment, to just say, you know, God, here, I'm ready to go. And step out into one of these aisles and go out one of these main doors right here as I'm pointing to the right and to the left. Go out and turn left into that private, big, huge room in there or turn to the right over here. Left or right, come in and sit and talk with somebody. When they say, what decision are you going to make? I want Jesus to come into my heart. What decision are you want to make? Well, I've asked Jesus in my heart, but I want to be baptized. You notice the Great Commission? Go baptize them. That's the second thing. That's where great power comes. And if you're a baptized believer and you want to be in a church that's not trying to draw people for anything other than the gospel, I want you to go back and say, I'm a member of a church I do not or I cannot attend. I've just moved to Houston. I want a church home. Go in and tell them so, okay? Dear God, I pray now that you will not let any of us walk off of this campus until we've stopped one more time and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? And dear God, I pray that there will not be any doubt as to what the, not only the mission statement of SageMod is, but what the message is. We want the world to know how much you love them. And help us to come up with a way to do that. And join with our fellow believers around the world to see it done. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We pray that today's message has brought you to a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. at Sagemont Church in the Worship Auditorium. For more information, check us out at www.sagemontchurch.org.